Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind Stocks on the Move. I'm Corey Johnson, and on August 18th, we've got episode 77. Well, just ahead, is the do-it-yourself home improvement thing going to be a thing for a long time? See what Lowe's has to say. And would you buy a used car from these guys? Look at a big used car dealer actually struggling to make money in a great market for used cars. And a really interesting company investing in the debt of other big companies. Eagle Point Credit CEO Tom Majewski joins us. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. ERA's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And we hope you can leave a review for us on whatever your favorite podcast platform is, whether it's iTunes or Spotify or TuneIn, whatever. Why don't you let the rest of the world know what it is that you like about the Drill Down Podcast. And let us know what stocks and companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Down Pod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got the business stories behind the stocks on the move, and we've got some news. The three most important business stories today. Executive producer Isaac Webster, what do you got? Hey, Corey, let's start with the Fed. We are getting a look at the minutes of the Federal Reserve's July 27th to 28th meeting. Fed officials indicated they were on track to begin reversing their easy money policies later this year. This is this is despite lingering differences over when exactly to pull back support for an economy growing faster than they expected earlier in the year. The minutes said several officials favored reducing asset purchases in the coming months in order to better position the Fed to potentially raise interest rates if the economy strengthens further next year. Others thought the Fed could wait until early next year because they want to see stronger evidence that the job market has healed from the pandemic. The Fed has three remaining policy meetings this year. Yeah, we'll see what hiring tells us. I think that's why we look at the employment picture. We want to understand kind of underlying economics. And I know people tend to look at this Fed thing as a finance deal or what it means for the bond market or the stock market. But the interest rates that people are charged, that businesses are charged, you know, they can matter on the margin uh, for how much businesses can expand. But it, it impacts everybody in some yeah. way or another. A little. I mean, I don't know. I, the other side of that is if you're running a business and interest rates are at 2% or 4%, it probably doesn't make a difference to you whether you're going to build a factory or not. You're going to make big business decisions, not on the, you know, half point, quarter point, even full point changes in, in interest rates. Now let's move on to Target. Target reporting increased revenue in the second quarter as more people return to stores. Digital sales at Target increased 10% after nearly tripling in the second quarter of 2020. The retailer said comparable sales, which include in-store uh, and online purchases for the quarter, rose 8.9% from a year earlier. Target executives said during the conference call that the Delta variant spread hasn't yet resulted in changes to consumer behavior, but they are closely monitoring the situation. And then moving on to MasterCard, MasterCard says it will do away with a magnetic, magnetic strip on all credit and debit cards. The credit card company will be the first to lose the technology, which made its debut back in the 1960s. Newly issued MasterCards won't be required to have magnetic stripes starting in 2024 and by 2033, MasterCard says the technology will be removed from all cards. Then the magnetic strip used to make those stripes isn't especially secure, and most cards have chips embedded in, in them these days, but MasterCard says 86% of face-to-face -face card interactions use this chip tech now, and new technologies like biometric cards that use fingerprints to verify the cardholder's identity are on the rise. 
this is really interesting. Visa came out with a study a couple of years ago, and it said that chip card readers reduce fraud by 80%. Um, you got to go back a ways, but the U.S. Secret Service did a, a study in 2008, and they found that a billion dollars was lost in card skimming. And those losses are usually not borne by the consumer. They're borne by the credit card company. So you can see their motivation to get rid of these cards. MasterCard did say in the last quarter that 45% of all in-person transactions were already using the contactless, contactless chip thingy. So bye-bye stripes. Wait, is it bye a stripe or a strip? You know, they use both the, they use both those terminologies. I found um, the same in my research today. Yeah, and I didn't realize that till today, actually. It but is kind I'm of interesting, ex- stupid technology. It's, it's the same technology yeah. they used in cassette tapes, right? Where the, essentially right. little magnetic digits were made something basically on or off but, right. uh, to record those the, those uh, fourteen digit numbers. Oh my gosh! And I'm 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 ready for that. Do you use the contactless yet? The little tap? Have you ever? I gotta say, there's a lot of Apple Pay in my life, which isn't even that's not the chip technology. The contactless is a token technology where token is generated by your device, and it's a different token every time making it much, much harder, if not impossible, to hack. Famous last words. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's start with Lowe's. Lowe's, it trades under L-O-W. Shares rose 9% today, and they've gained 26% in a year. What's new with Lowe's? Well, um, Isaac, uh, just a couple of days ago, I talked to the CEO of Builder's First Source, David uh, Flipman. I don't yeah. know if you heard that interview. And it was really I think I one. did. Yeah, I think I, re- yeah, I think have... I heard that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did, did I ask you the same question yesterday's show? Yeah, you did. Well, we can make this a daily thing. Yeah. Well, I think that the Builders First Source CEO, David Flipman, was really good. And he, he talked a lot about underlying demand in the housing market and how he felt like this was a, a big long-term secular trend. We sort of heard the same things from Home Depot. So I was really curious what we would hear from Lowe's today. Lowe's came out with quarterly earnings. It said sales of about $28 billion dollars. Up 1% year over year. Earnings of $3 billion, up 7%. So some real leverage there. Earnings up you know, a lot more than revenues were up. Same sort of sales actually down a little bit, 1.6%. But they were up, or I should say their overall revenues were up 30% over 2019. Fantastic two-year growth for this company. And it wasn't just about professional building. The builder's first source CEO talked about professionals and, and uh, uh, you know what real builders are doing. It's also the do-it-yourself stuff. And uh, the DIY trend that was so big during the pandemic, well, they were asked about that. And here's what the CFO, Dave Denton, had to say about the uh, how long that might continue. Don't forget that what has happened here over the last 18 months is a re-emphasis back on the home. And what you're seeing is, despite the fact that the market is open or the U.S. market is opening up, you're still seeing a large contingent of work from home, school from home, utilizing the home for other activities other than just dwelling. So I believe that over time, there is a secular trend and tailwind to this industry, both from a pro and from a DIY perspective. I assume demand will mitigate a little bit, but it's not going to fall off the floor either. I'm actually in the office, not at home today, but still, um, uh, I'm going to say that once is an interesting, twice is a coincidence, and three times is a trend. We've got three different CEOs or CFOs from the biggest uh, suppliers of the goods to DIY or to actually build a house, all saying that this has a multi-year uh, demand behind it. If my household is any indication, that is absolutely true. We have not let, we have not taken our foot off the gas. It's just doing tinkering around the house. 
Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Children's Place. Children's Place trades under PLCE. Shares fell 6% today, but they've gained, Children's Place shares have gained 291% a year. I'm I'm pretty impressed by that. That's amazing. Yeah, What's new I, with I, Children's think Place? That, I think basically they were just in so much trouble a year ago that there was perceived to be a, a comeback going up. Uh, again, as you mentioned, the stock was was down under 30 bucks a share. Now it's up over you know $94 a share. But the last couple of days, have been unkind because the results today just weren't great. Company talking about um, how bad store traffic has been for them um, and how bad, tough the quarter is because they're just not in a great, uh, great business right now. Uh, the business, the, you know, I know your kids are little Isaac and you're buying all kinds of stuff and clothes for them because they're constantly growing and needing new stuff. But uh, mm-hmm. generally speaking, that's not the trend in the U.S. right now. Store traffic for these guys was 32% below 2019. Fewer kids of that age. They've got to now try to capture market share from their competitors, not just be the beneficiaries of a rising market. How do you do that? You spend a lot of money in in promoting. You spend a lot of money in advertising. You spend a lot of money on the web. And uh, they're trying to steal market share from other clothiers, children's clothiers. And it's a struggle when the market for zero kids under, you know, zero to 10 it's just not growing. Here's the CFO, Rob Helm. We're living in a different competitive environment than we were pre-pandemic. As we've discussed in the, on the prior calls, the kids zero to 10 market is not a growing market. And to, um, you know, to gain share and, and gain competitive positioning, you, ha- you have to um, you know, uh, continue to attack market share. Um, <clears throat> Now with the, uh, the reduced competitive playing field, we're able to realize higher prices and, and rethink our promotional strategy. Uh, and the, the different, that's the differentiator for us in our, our competitive set, where we're priced as a value player uh, in our competitive set. So, you know, value player means lower margins, maybe lower revenues. That's just a tough business to be in right now. And I think that the most recent reaction by the stock reflects the troubles they're having in that business, even though they were saying back to school was very strong for them. Corey, what is your next drill down? America's Car Mart. That's a thing. America's Car Mart. I've never heard of this. Um, America's Car Mart trades under CRMT. Shares fell 18% today, but they've gained 26% in a year. So what is America's Car Mart? Well, I should mention, when I brought it up in the morning meeting today, uh, you, said, you said that and you looked to see where their stores are. Where are their stores, Isaac, in case you haven't seen an America's Car Mart? So if you go to their website, their stores are located around Southern Missouri, sporadic around Iowa, a lot in Arkansas, Northeastern Texas, uh, uh, Kentucky, Alabama, Northern Georgia. So Midwest, South-ish? Yeah. Yeah. So um, these guys sell used cars and they finance uh, uh, used cars. And that should be a fantastic business right now. But in the quarter they reported, there were some worrisome signs. And I think that's why you saw that massive sell-off in the stock today. They reported second quarter revenues of $280 million, which was a a 20% increase in sales price, 25% increase in the number of units sold. Their same store sales are 47%. Uh, And, you know, again, if the cars are 20% more expensive, you'd think their gross margins would get a lot better, right? No. Gross margins went from 42% last year, 38% this year. 
and their cash collection cycle on their debt got really extended. These numbers just didn't look good when you started to sort of pull them apart. And uh, the, as I mentioned, the stock reacted to that. Jeff Williams, the CEO, talked about this in the conference call, and he said, you know, that with used cars, they, they, essentially they slap a certain amount of a price uh, a margin on top of it, a dollar amount, but the percentage amount, that gross profit, uh, just isn't the same when the car is so expensive because they're trying to hit a certain price point for their customers. And if they're buying cars at a higher price, they can only sell them for a slightly higher price and uh, that didn't give the gross margins that they have seen in the past. Um, and also there were some of concerns about cash collection. But listen to what uh, CEO Jeff Williams had to say about the price of the car. Well, yeah, the, the, the price of the car with the, the significant in, increase in the, in the price of, of used cars, it's just mathematically in, in, the, in the way we price cars based on what we pay for a car, it's uh, just a, a factor in uh, resulting from a, a higher dollar gross profit, but the percentage itself is going to be lower as you go up that price uh, chain. We are working on efficiencies and, and uh, expense management and, and everything that uh, is underneath the cost of the car, the purchase cost, and we'll continue to squeeze out some efficiencies there. But uh, the retail sales price of that car and the competition in the markets uh, and, and the overall uh, ability to, to pass on the full percentages that we've had in the past with a higher dollar is, uh, is, is going is to be a challenge for us, if you want to call it a challenge. But again, we're picking up market share. Our pricing at the retail side is, is matching up very nicely. And I think that's a, a big reason that we're seeing our volume uh, improvements in a pretty dif difficult uh, market with higher prices. Is that a difficult market? If you're selling a lot more stuff, you know, all his competitors are taking price. He, we're, he's like, you know, if he says he's learned, gaining market share, great. But, uh, you know, the goal here is to make money. Go figure. All right, up next, we're going to talk to the Eagle Point Credit founder, Tom Majewski. Really interesting company that's making money by buying pieces of the debt of other companies. His research strategy alone is reason to stay tuned. All right, The Drill Down is brought to you by Indeed. Here's a big question for every kind of business. When you're hiring, how do you know who's really best for the role? Save time and screen for quality candidates with the skills you need with Indeed assessments. When hiring gets hard, you need Indeed, the job site that makes hiring incredibly simple. Just attract, interview, and hire. In fact, with Indeed, you can do all your hiring in one place, even interviewing. Don't just hope the perfect candidate will find you. Indeed's hiring tools help you cut through the noise and hire faster and smarter. In fact, Indeed Instant Match provides a list of quality candidates whose resumes are on Indeed the moment you post a sponsored job. With Indeed assessments, you can choose from 135 skill tests to make sure you're finding applications from people with the skills you need. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all the other job sites combined. So join more than three million businesses worldwide Use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Get started right now. Drill Down listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Drill Down. Try a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash Drill Down. That's Indeed.com slash Drill Down. Offer valid through September 30th. Terms and conditions apply. And remember to join the Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Down Pod and connect with us on our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks we should be drilling down on.
All right, welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We've got an interesting company here in Eagle Point Credit uh, that we're going to talk to the CEO, Tom Majewski, joins us. Tom, glad to have you on the Drill Down Podcast. Um, how, define what you guys do. What, what do you guys do at uh, Eagle Point Credit? Great. Thanks, Corey, for having me on. Um, it's a pleasure to be with you. Big fan of your show. The oh, um, e- uh, like Eagle Point. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good one. Um, Eagle Point Credit Company um, is, is a listed vehicle that trades on the New York Stock Exchange. That's that's principal purpose is to deliver high current income for its shareholders through monthly dividends. Um, the way it, it seeks to do that is through investing in something called CLO securities or particularly CLO equity. And what CLOs are sounds a lot like CDOs. You might have done one or two series on in the past. Back in um, the day. But Indeed. Um, collateralized loan are, obligation, right? Exactly. Collateralized loan obligation, small pieces of big loans to big American companies. Companies you do business with every day, Dell Computer, Burger King, Albertsons, American Airlines, if you're flying. Um, and many of these companies have senior secured loans. So they're loans where they pledge all of their assets or a big chunk of them, sort of a first lien mortgage. And our vehicle owns the junior piece of lots of different CLOs. They generate and lots the, of cash and they provide some very strong current income for our shareholders. And, and these are these just plain old corporate bonds or, or are they, they're, they're particular loans that are different from corporate bonds? They're, they're senior secured loans or sometimes called bank loans or par loans. Um, but they're, they're, they are similar to junk bonds in that they're below investment grade companies. But unlike a corporate bond, which is typically unsecured, loans are secured by all of a company's assets typically. And these are also, it's important to note, are, are rated. So these aren't just you, where you go out and do your own. You may or may not do your own credit work, but you've got ratings and you tend to be focused in the B and B plus uh, ratings, right? Correct. So they're so, below investment grade, but they are rated and while comfort, you can't always take comfort in numbers, in many cases, there's hundreds of different holders of a given loan. It's not how just much, something we've gone out sure. and done directly. How much, you know, so I, when, I, when I was a portfolio manager, I was purely in equities with some weird exceptions, but um, you know, in equities and, and I would do in very concentrated portfolios, so I would do a lot of work on the names, a lot of work on the companies, talk to former employees, visit factories and customers, um, do a lot of you know forensic accounting work uh, because my positions were so concentrated. You don't have a single position more than one percent of your fund, so I, I would imagine that you guys don't have to do all of that research on every single one of your holdings. Uh, yes and no. Um, so to the to your, your statement is correct. Of the underlying loans, we have direct exposure to over a thousand different obligors, uh, borrowers. Uh, the the largest is about one percent today. Um, and no one industry or company is, is unduly concentrated. Where, where the concentration becomes a little greater is each of the CLOs is operated by someone called a collateral manager or in mortgages, someone like a servicer. Um, and that collateral manager um, can buy and sell loans within the portfolio on an ongoing basis. And while the CLOs themselves have strict rules about diversity, they couldn't put 20% of the portfolio Oftentimes, they can't even put 2% of a portfolio in one name. Um, we then monitor the collateral management teams very carefully, those who are looking after the underlying portfolios, 
And there are concentrations get greater. We may have five or 10% of our portfolio with one particular collateral manager across a number of different CLOs. So our work is more at that intermediate level than on the raw underlying credits, although they're both equal, they're both very important. So when you do research, what is it you're researching? Are you, are you spending a lot of time looking at the economic picture, the interest rate environment? Are you looking at these individual companies and trying to understand what sectors are going to perform well, or at least to keep yourself out of trouble? Uh, we're actually mainly focused on the, the management teams, the collateral managers. And a CLO, a good analogy for a CLO is a bank. A bank is about 10 times levered. A CLO is about 10 times levered. Um, a CLO is match funded, unlike a bank, which faces deposit withdrawal risk. But what's most important is banks and CLOs have two-legged people that go home every night. And our job, just as you might look to who are the executive team at JP Morgan or Citibank or a smaller bank, um, we're going to spend a lot of time diligencing and understanding the, the two-legged teams that operate the CLOs on a day-to-day basis. So what are the, uh, maybe looking back in your career or the stuff you did, what, what kind of things have you found out about those managers that uh, maybe made you change an investment decision? You don't have to name them, although if you want to name the individuals, <laughs> you may, but hopefully you got well, some good dirt. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. It's a pretty boring bunch. Um, these are long-only credit folks who were typically trained at Manufacturers Hanover Bank in the 1980s. Um, so uh, we, we do actually do thorough background checks. Manufacturers on Hanover Trust, I believe. Yes, the, uh, yes. Man, indeed, indeed. That's how old I am. That's where it all began. Once in a while, you see a Manny Hanny umbrella on the street still. Um, old times sake. The, um, um, but we actually do thorough background checks, amongst other things. And we've known many of the people for, for 20 plus years. Um, uh, two of the uh, more more notable ones, um, one person sent from work, happened to be the coach of his school's son's soccer team, you know, middle school soccer team, right. and sent a pretty scathing email about some of the parents' behavior, um, but of course sent it to the whole league and sent it from his work email. Um, that actually made the newspaper in his town, which is our, his city, um, and that kind of thing comes up in a background check, and obviously not a reason not to make an investment, but it's like, you know, kind of scratched your head at that one. And then another one located um, at the time in a suburb of Illinois, a suburb of Chicago. Every member of the credit committee had a ticket, one or more tickets for running a stop sign. And like these are supposed to be the conservative most people. Right. And it turns out it's the same police officer directly at the stop sign in front of their office. And, you know, <laughs> just, you know, everyone, you know, maybe once in a while you don't slow down when you pull out. Um, he got them all. So um, no other violations in any of their histories. So we, we, we got past it on that one as well. Um, in general, though, what we find is a lot of our competitors don't do that, that kind of background check. And while we've never found a reason not to invest, we found some other things from time to time that have warranted inquiry. Um, but we, we've uh, we, we pretty, pretty, pretty well pre-screened the folks before we get to the point of doing any sort of you know, expensive background checks. And you use like a background check company or do you have PIs, private investigators on uh, your staff? Just, just short of that, we use, typically use Kroll, which is one of the largest yeah. uh, uh, search firms uh, for that. And they cost thousands of dollars each and go and check the, the, you know, the college degrees and things like that. Yeah. Um, but equally importantly, we have our team keep a deep eye on the operations of the collateral managers. And 
our goal is to try and know them better than they know themselves. That's a, that's a laudable goal we'll, we'll never fully achieve, but we want to know the details. Is, is what they're focused on with us the thing that's getting priority internally, or is something else they're doing perhaps getting more attention? So it's very much a human business, although it involves yeah. a, a ton of numbers. It all comes down to people at the end of the day. 100%. So when I was, so more specific about when I was a money manager, I, I ran a short only portfolio. Short pretty, only. Wow. Correct. And, and of pretty good size. It was one of the second largest short only fund in the country. Um, mm-hmm. And I ran a small chunk of that. And um, absolutely the human research was the interesting stuff. I found a lot better mm-hmm. stuff than that though. But yeah, I was hopefully, for, hopefully the stuff you're selecting. Yeah. yeah. These are all criminals and charges pending. So my but, favorite it, was... It, it, there was a company that it was a company that I found. It was a prior company that one of the management team had been on, but the CEO had been convicted of securities fraud. She had been convicted of securities fraud twice and banned from the industry twice. How is that possible? Because she had been a he. He was convicted of securities fraud, banned from the industry, um, went through a gender change, got a new name, went back into the securities business, got banned again. Um, and so when I when I had an executive who had been at that company prior to that, I thought, well, what is this company? You start pulling on that loose thread. And it's just as you described, you start pulling on a loose thread and sometimes the whole sweater unravels. Yeah. Oh, that's that. I hadn't thought of that one, but that's something we will, uh, we may introduce into our investment process. So. I'll, I'll, I'll turn you on to my, uh, my, my PIs who will find <laughs> stuff even Kroll can't find. So please, that's, that's super interesting. So how many of those people are you, you know, presumably you also meet, spend a lot of time meeting with them and, and call them into your offices or go to meet with them as well? Absolutely. There's about 120 different collateral manager teams in the market today, and we have firsthand personal relationships with nearly all of them. Um, Both me and my two senior partners have been in the market all or substantially all of our careers. Um, I've been doing this over 20 years. And you know the people, and while sometimes the business cards change, um, what's pretty consistent is some people just have a knack for making money, and others, there's always an explanation. Interesting. The best ones. Just show me the numbers. It's and we have the numbers ourselves through our, our own data and research. And we'll still meet with people, even if it doesn't look super promising. We might deprioritize the meeting, um, but you always learn something at a minimum. And we, we want to meet pretty much with the entire market at least once a year. Those that we invest a lot with, we have open Bloomberg chats, and we're we're in touch with them on a daily basis in many cases. And what are the underlying trends you see happening? Like right now, here we are at a, at a really, really interesting time in the economy where we're seeing things that we've never seen before, uh, such as, um, you know, small businesses, inability to hire. The, those numbers are through the roof and we've never seen spikes like this. We've seen this this really short, really dramatic recession, two-month recession, which was the shortest recession on memory. And yet the, one of the one of the biggest slowdowns in economic activity that the, the world's ever seen. What are you seeing right now in August in terms of what's happening with lending? Yeah, it is. Um, it's a real challenge in the, in the market. Um, the, the thing you talked about of struggling hiring people, um, that's very much true, I think, at all points in the economy, um, from local businesses and clubs to, to large-scale organizations. Um, access to talent um, is, is, is a very real challenge. Um, in the credit markets, and certainly the large cap credit markets, um, what I will say is it does feel a bit like a golden period right now. Now, golden periods always end, so we're, we're mindful of that. And as we're positioning our portfolio, we're working on the strength of the, using the strength of the market 
to get us where we want to be for the next time it turns. But the two things that can hurt my investments or the two principal things I worry about are loans defaulting, which is actually the second biggest concern, and then loans repricing or refinancing tighter in that loans are bank loans are freely prepayable, maybe after a six month non-call period. So if spreads tighten and the market is stronger, the company that might have borrowed at L plus 400 comes back to the market and says, you know, I'd like to do it at 350 now. And if everyone's starving for paper, they're going to accept that. Um, and so when I look at what's going on in the loan market, only 1% of all loans and as well over a thousand loans are trading below 80 cents on the dollar today. So that's kind of a bright line of distress. So that suggests the market's saying there's not a lot of near-term default risk. JP Morgan just lowered their corporate default forecast for this year to 65 basis points. That's well below yeah. the long-term average of 2 to 3%. So that's great. At the same time, only about 10% of loans are trading above par, which suggests there's not a lot of repricing likely or spread tightening that's going to come right. against me. So I've got a good situation where companies... 99% of them are paying their bills and very few of them have enough power to reprice their debt tighter. So when I look at it, that's what I love. I know it won't last forever. And the thing I'm doing, because I know that that, that, that party will end at some point, is I'm trying to buy as much tenor in my portfolio. And what I mean by that is unlike most other forms of securitization, like mortgages and autos and lots of other things you might have heard of, CLOs typically have a five-year reinvestment period. And what this means is that any repayment on a loan, amortization payment or a recovery on a default, or if one of those two-legged teams chooses to sell a loan, the principal is reinvested for the first five years. Now, in April of 2020, the price of loans was way down. The average loan was trading between 80 and 90 cents on the dollar. That was pretty tough. However, 2% of the loan market roughly prepaid at par during April of 2020. So you had par dollars just right. by opening the mail. You didn't have, this is not relative value. Right. This is opening the mail. Right. I got money at 100. I can go reinvest it at 80 when no one else is buying. And the longer the runway you have to be able to do that, the better your portfolios are going to be. So what I'm doing today is trying to build as much reinvestment period adding it as long as possible into each of the different CLOs within our portfolios. Well, and that's the thing about high interest credit, right? Is, is, you know, some of them are, are just as, as good a risk as, as, as double a or triple, you know, and, and, and if, if you can, if you can figure out those out the right ones or anesthetize yourself to that loss, so the returns can be nice, which is why your returns, your dividend payouts pretty nice. We've been, we've been very pleased with that. And the loan market is 29 years old at this point. And so, again, these are below investment grade loans. In the 29 years since the market has had an index, it's had positive returns in 27 of the 29 years, which when you think about it, for a risk asset class, these are below investment grade loans to in over 90% of the years over the last three decades deliver positive returns. That's extraordinary. And that owes to the fact that loans are senior and secured. So when companies get in trouble, we've got collateral. It might not be the best collateral, but I'd rather have collateral yeah. than not. That's, that's an easy answer. And then they're floating rates. So if rates go up, rates go down, it doesn't really impact the price of loans. High yield bonds, you can win tremendously as you would have last year with, with rates coming down. Although you might lose when rates go back up. 
Um, so we've isolated that and that all of our assets are floating right off a three-month rate. Interesting stuff. Tom, appreciate your time. Tom Majewski is the CEO of uh, Eagle Creek. I'm glad to have you on with the Drill Down podcast. Uh, we've got the Drill Down Bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. What is that rate of return from this, from the owning this uh, publicly traded vehicle? What is that dividend rate? We're going to have that percentage number when the Drill Down continues. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. We hope you listen to the Drill Down podcast every day. That's a lot easier when you click the subscribe button and follow us. That way your phone or device can download every single show and you won't miss a single episode of The Drill Down. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Down Pod. And connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. All right, we're back with the drill down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. The dividend rate is up uh, with the drill down bite, that one number for us. Um, for uh, Eagle Point Credit, Isaac, uh, they pay kind of a fantastic dividend, 8.57% dividend. Wow. So that's, you know, it's, it's, that's nice. Yeah, if they can hold on to it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh, as, as, as you pointed out when we were talking this morning, the, the stock has also responded quite well, where the stock's gone from about seven bucks to 14 bucks in the last. Year, but again, still paying about a 9% dividend rate. Yeah. I mean, hey, stuff. take it where you can get it. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you for listening to Drill Down Podcast. I'm Corey Jonathan. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.